Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now after three years, five flight instructors and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School Podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School Podcast where I, Nick Smith, founder of parttimepilot.com, go over my online ground school in audio format for you guys. Every single lesson of the online ground school here on the podcast so you can listen on the go and learn on the go. So this is episode number 25 and this should be dropping i believe on january 16th now the reason i want to talk about that is because on february 1st we will be giving out our next one thousand dollar scholarship to one of the members of our online ground school so if you're out there looking for an online ground school and you haven't maybe decided yet, maybe give us a look. I'm not saying you have to go with us, but we do have that $1,000 scholarship coming up, so now might be a good time. Once you're in, your welcome email will have a link to the application, and you can also access it through your member page through your student dashboard. All right, so with, oh, one more thing. We are also doing a free course giveaway right now. If you join the online ground school, you get this as a bonus course. It's called How to Become a Pilot and Save Money. So go step-by-step, high-level, how to get your pilot's license, What exactly what you need to do. It has a bunch of tips on like how to meet a, find and meet a recommending instructor to get your student pilot certificate, how to make sure and prepare for your medical exam so you pass your medical exam, but then it also has a bunch of tips and tricks as well as things to avoid to save money on pilot private pilot training. Now, I made the course because I spent over $6,000 that I did not need to by making these mistakes. So you want to check out those mistakes that I made so that you cannot make them. This is the first course I made. It is what inspired me to make a course because I thought someone like me with an aerospace engineering background who's actually good at flying, like if it was such a struggle for me and so stressful for me because of the money and because of the time that it's probably stressful for everybody. And people student pilots need to know this information so they can save themselves that six thousand dollars of unnecessary money that i spent is probably about ten thousand dollars now because of the prices of gas and everything going up so make sure you check that course out i'll put a link in the show notes you can go to parttimepilot.com click on the free course in the menu as well and sign up for that or if you sign up in our ground school you can get that as a bonus course included for free and you can sign up for our thousand dollar scholarship all right with all that said let's get to today's lessons. So in our last episode, that would be episode 24, I believe, we talked about, what did we talk about? We talked about PyReps and area, graphical area forecasts. So that was a good episode. And if you missed it, go and check that out. And if you haven't messed around with aviationweather.org's graphical area forecast, go check that out. It's a really powerful tool that I'm sure you'll use a lot as a pilot. We're in section five of the online ground school. This is on weather theory charts and information. So if you're in the online ground school, please follow along because there's more visuals, mnemonic devices, videos, and even, you know, quizzes in these lessons. So please follow along there. And so section five, and today we're going to cover lesson 15 
and then probably less than 16 even, maybe less than 17, but less than 15 is winds and temperatures loft. What Less than 16 is low-level significant weather charts. And if we get to it, less than 17 will be on radar weather observations. All important stuff that you're going to be asked about on the FAA written exam and likely on your check ride. So without further, further ado, let's get started. All right, here we are on lesson 15 on winds and temperatures temperatures aloft tables. Wind and temperature data at altitude is available in graphical and tabular format at www.weatheraviation.com. We will discuss both in this course and we will discuss both in this lesson actually, sorry. Uh, so we're going to talk about the, the tabular format, how you read that, and then we're also going to get into wind and temperature plots and how you read those, how you read, read things like wind flags and stuff like that. So let's get started. This is a bit of a long lesson, but a very important one. All right, wind and temperatures aloft tables. Winds and temperature aloft information can be found at aviationweather.gov under wind and temps. The site categorizes the data into regions that you can highlight and click on the United States map. Once you click on an area of the map, you will see a table of data that is the wind and temperature data with rows of specific weather stations and columns of altitude for that area. Above the tables are some notes on the date, which are also important for you to understand. Just as in the area forecast or GFA, each winds aloft report has a WMO identifier code for each report. Winds aloft reports are referred to as FDs and the code is usually in the form of FDXUSX where X is a specific number for the specific report or area. The next note will be the date and time the data was based on in the form of it's like XXYYYZ where XX is the day of the month and YYY is the time of day in Zulu. So it goes first two digits are day of the month, last four digits are the time in Zulu and then they'll have a little Z at the end which stands for Zulu. Following this date will be the valid date and time. So you have the date and time that the information was based on then you have the valid date and time which is immediately followed by the words for use between two times on the valid date listed. For example, it'll say valid 26-1800 Zulu for use 1400-2100 Zulu, which means you can use this information between 14 to 2100, 1400 to 2100 Zulu on the 26th of the month. So it, it, it's valid 2600 uh, sorry, valid on the 26th of the month at 1800 and for use between 1400 and 2100 Zulu time. The next and final note states that temps negative above 24,000. This simply means that you should assume all temperatures are negative for all the altitude columns that are above 24,000. So if you see, there's not going to be a negative sign on any of the temperatures in those columns, and you're to assume that all those temperatures are negative. That's because at altitudes above 24,000 feet, there are it's never going to be hotter than zero degrees. It's always going to be negative that high up in the atmosphere. So to save space, they just left out those negative signs. Next is the table itself. On aviationweather.gov, you will be able to choose a dropdown of three separate time frames, and the table will update accordingly. The first column lists the three-digit area of the forecast. So now we're talking about the table, and if you're in the online ground school in the lesson, you can see this wind and temps data table, and I've highlighted and pointed out and decoded every single aspect of this table in a single image for you. So it's a great visual. Everything's decoded on it, even the notes and stuff, and where you can select the time frames, your area, the, the valid date and time, and then every single row and column and what those mean. So that's what we're going to talk about here. So if you're in the online grounds, go check that out so you have a visual cue while I talk about this. The first so again, the first column lists the three-digit area of the forecast. These are normally based on major cities. So you're going to click when you go to aviationweather.gov and you go to winds and temps, it's going to show a map of the United States. And then different regions are going to be highlighted in the United States. There's going to be like 
you know, like a Seattle region, which is like Washington, some of Idaho and Oregon, click on that region, it's going to pull up a table. And the first column is going to be like 20 or so, so station identifiers for that are normally based off the major city. So they're going to be areas within that region that you clicked on. So uh, I am looking at in the online ground squad, the Northeast region, which is like the Boston region of the United States. And for example, in that column, you have like BDL, BGR, CAR, PWM, EMI. And if you look on that map on aviationweather.gov, they have a map of the region and they show where all these specific areas or cities are within that region. Because some of these you might not recognize what those abbreviations mean. Sometimes they match a local big airport or a local city, something like that. Um, for example, you have like JFK, SYR. So JFK is like JFK airport. You have SYR, which is like Syracuse and stuff like that. So check it out uh, in the online ground school and you'll kind of get what I mean, but you got to use the map to kind of see what area this is. So when you're planning a flight, you want to look at, okay, like where is my, you know, when I'm, when I'm in cruise flight, I want to get the winds and temps up at altitude. Where am I going to be in cruise flight? Which area am I going to be closest to? And usually on most cross country flights that are a few hours, you're probably only going to be in one area, maybe two areas. So you kind of just choose the closest area and that's the data that you'll go off of. Uh, if it's a longer flight, then you'll fly obviously between two of these different rows in, in the data table. All right, so with that said, the first four altitude columns, so at the very top, the top row is going to be altitudes, and it's going to be like 3,000, 6,000, 9,000, 12,000, and those are all in feet. The first four altitude columns are in MSL. Anything 18,000 and above are listed as pressure altitudes. So that's just a note. I don't think I've seen this asked on the FAA written exam, but it's something, it might be a tricky question that your FAA examiner might ask for you. It's something as a private student pilot you won't be too worried about because you're not going to fly at 18,000 and above. But as you get more advanced, it's something that you'll need to remember. If an entry of the table is blank, it means that, so, so we have the row, the top row, that divides each column into a different altitude. And then we have the first column which divides each row into a different specific area within the region. And then so then you can you can look at one region, right? So let's say near JFK, and then you can see all the different altitudes and the different pr temperatures and winds at those altitudes near at JFK. So you can just say, okay, I want to look at JFK. So you find JFK, you follow that row, and then you say, I want to look at 12,000 feet. So you follow the JFK row over to the right until you're in the 12,000 foot column, and then you read off your winds and temperature data. So if any of those wind and temperature entries of the table is blank, it means that no data was available either because there was no recording of the wind or the altitude of the station is actually below the altitude for that column. For example, if a station, say XYZ, is at 3,400 feet MSL, there will be a blank entry in the 3,000 foot column for winds and temperatures, right? Because the, the airport is actually above that column. So you're going to get for winds and temperatures at 3,000 feet, that's below ground level for your airport. So your surface starts at 3,400 feet MSL for that particular high altitude airport, right? So you're not going to have any data for the 3,000 foot column. And that's what you see in this example in the EKN area. There's actually a blank spot on the 3,000 foot. That's because it's a little bit higher than that. Or there's just the station just doesn't have wind or altitude for that, for that reading. All right, so for altitude columns 3,000, 6,000, 9,000, 12,000, 18,000, and 24,000, the numbers of each station or row can be decoded as basically two numbers, I'll call them XX, and then two more numbers, I'll call them YY because they're a little bit different, then either a plus or a minus sign followed by two more numbers, which I'll call ZZ. So it's like XX, YY, plus or minus sign, then ZZ. 
XX, those first two numbers, will be the first two numbers of the wind direction relative to a true direction, relative to true north. YY, those second two numbers, will be the wind speed in knots, followed by either a plus or a minus sign to indicate that the last two numbers, ZZ, are temperatures that are above or below zero. Except for the altitude column of 3000 that does not report temperatures and columns above 24,000 that assume the temperatures are negative. So 3000 and 24,000 are unique. 3000 only has the first four digits. It's only got the XXYY, which is the wind direction, the first two digits of the wind direction, and the wind speed in knots. It doesn't report a temperature because we assume that it's kind of too close to the surface, so you'll just use like a surface temperature. And then for above 24,000, again, we mentioned this before, but there's no plus or minus sign for the temperature. It's just assumed that those temperatures are all negative. So for example, you might see in this example, if I look at the Boston, the BOS area row, and I look at nine, or let's look at uh, 18,000 feet. It says 2425 minus 13. So that's a wind direction in terms of true north. Remember, if you read it, it's true. That's something you can remember for wind directions. Because again, remember, directions can be true or magnetic. And maybe we haven't gotten to this in the podcast yet, but we'll talk about this when we get to cross country planning. Directions can always be in terms of true north or in terms of magnetic north. Now, when you're flying, you'll usually use magnetic numbers because that's what you're basing everything. You're basing your heading indicator off your magnetic compass and you have your magnetic compass. So you want to know magnetic numbers when you're flying. But when you're like planning a flight and you're measuring off your course, that's a true course that you first measure when you get your plotter tool out and you measure on your chart, your AV, your aeronautical charts, you're measuring a true course because that's relative to a true north, not a magnetic north. And then you convert later using variation to a magnetic number. But the same thing kind of happens with wind. When you read a wind, they assume that you're kind of in flight planning mode and you're going to compare it to a true course. And so they, if you read it, the wind is true. If you hear it while you're flying, it's most likely magnetic unless otherwise specified so just remember that directions can be in terms of two different things if you read it in a weather report like winds and loft then it's in terms of a true direction all right so that was the spiel on true direction just kind of remember that but uh so yeah so this example for the bos area at 18,000 feet we had two four two five minus one three so that's first two Letters of the wind direction in terms of true, 2, 4, so that's 2, 4, 0. The wind is from, coming from 2, 4, 0. And then 2, 5 is the wind speed in knots. So the wind is two from 2, 4, 0 at 25 knots, then minus 1, 3, and the temperature so is minus 13 degrees Celsius. So the wind is from 2, 4, 0 at 25 knots with a temperature of minus 13 at 18,000 feet in the BOS area of the Boston Northeast region. Okay, so that's sort of an example of the the most generic entry that you're going to see for winds and temperatures aloft, but it gets a little bit more, there's a little bit more decoding that needs to happen in some of these. For altitude columns of 30,000, 34,000, 39,000, the numbers for each station or row can be decoded as XXYYZZ. Now remember, I've mentioned it twice already, the plus or minus sign is gone, so it's just going to be XXYYZZ. XX is again the first two numbers of the wind direction. YY, those next two numbers are going to be the wind speed. And then ZZ, the last two numbers will be the temperature, which again is assumed below zero or negative in Celsius. Now, if you see a 9900 in any of the cells, so the, the row and column spot, any of the wind and temperature spots, you see a 990 for the first four digits. This signifies that the winds are light and variable. Okay, so 990 means light and variable. So I'm looking here on our example at the ALB area uh, at 6,000 feet. I see 990 plus 05. That means winds are light and variable with a temperature of plus 5 degrees Celsius. So 990 tells you winds are light and variable. Light in this case means less than 5 knots. Variable means 
it's not enough or it's not consistent enough to have a defined direction or it's basically so little amount of wind that it doesn't it doesn't matter <laughs> essentially is what that means all right next fact i want you to know is sometimes you will see xx or wind direction be a number that is greater than 36 or 360 degrees all right now this one is usually the tricky one that students you know get kind of caught up in and it's something that you just have to remember and it's a little bit sort of they put a little decoding equation that you kind of have to do and the reason again is because they wanted to save space and try to be as efficient as possible all while making our lives a little bit harder as as student pilots so if you see the first two numbers remember it's xxyyzz if those first two numbers the xx the wind direction is greater than an 36 greater than 360 degrees remember wind direction it can only go it goes zero all the way around you know 90 180 270 360 which is the same as zero and then it starts over right you can't go higher than 360 so this is telling you something right away so if your wind direction is higher than 360 that is the sign that tells you okay i need to do the special correction to this line item this temperature and wind data so again above three six for the wind direction is obviously not possible this is actually a way for the table to represent wind speed above a hundred knots or a three digit wind speed now it only tells you wind speed in two digits and this is its way to tell you actually that wind speed is above a hundred knots so here is what you have to do you subtract you subtract 50 from the first two digits, which are the wind direction, and then you add 100 to your wind speed. So again, if you see the wind speed above 360, you say, hey, that's impossible. <laughs> so you add 50 to that number, and then you add 100 to your, whatever the wind speed is, and then now you'll have your wind direction and wind speed. Confused? Yeah, let's do an example, because I think that's the best way to understand this. So example, you, let's say you see 781737. That means it would be a wind direction of 780. That doesn't make sense. We're not Tony Hawk or 1080. I don't know if you ever played Nintendo 64, the 1080 snowboarding game. You're not doing any 720s, 720 kickflips or anything like that. So 780 is not a true direction. So that tells you right there, okay, I need to apply this little formula. So you subtract 50 to that. So 78 minus 50 gives you 28. So now your wind direction is 280. So you know the wind is from 280. That also tells you that you need to add 100 to the wind speed. So again, we had 781737. We subtracted 50 to 78 to get 28 for our wind direction. Then our next two numbers were 17. So we're going to add 100 to that. That's the wind speed. So instead of 17 knots, it's 117 knots of wind speed from a direction of 280. And then the last two numbers are just, again, the temperature. In this case, it was for an altitude above 24,000. So we assume that's negative, so it'd be minus 37 degrees. When you don't see a plus or minus sign, you just assume it's minus. Hopefully that made sense. Again, you got to check out the... Uh, the, the lesson in the online ground school. I have an example. I've decoded every single thing in clear red, green, and blue to kind of show you the different elements of a Winslow off table. And then I have three different examples that kind of show what we just talked about, the three kind of unique scenarios. And then I have a video. And in that video, I go over more examples and break it down every single thing i'll put a link to that video in the show notes for you guys here on the podcast let's uh let's continue on now to wind and temperature plots rather than wind and temperature data tables more handy charts are available to you at aviationweather.gov as well as other weather data sites that will depict all sorts of information like temperature contours pressure contours wind direction and wind speed that can really give you a graphical visual idea of what's going on around the country or around your area for each chart the altitude and here we're talking about aviationweather.com or sorry.gov and you can see following along in the online ground school the lessons i have some examples of the charts we're going to talk about some of these charts and some of the more helpful charts and 
specifically the ones you'll have to know for the FA written. Also kind of mentioned some other ones just that I think are handy for cross-country planning and check ride stuff. For each chart, the altitude for which you want data can be changed with a scroll bar on the left side of the map. So just like we had the data table of winds aloft data, right? We had winds, wind speed, wind direction, and temperature for every single, like every 3,000 feet of altitude, every, you know, 3,000, 6,000, 9,000 at different stations around a region of the United States, you can see the entire United States. And that's what I'm looking at here in the online ground school. And you can see that in a graphical format rather than in a in a data table and you can change the altitude level at which you want to see and then all the information will update accordingly and then you can also change the valid time just like you can change the valid time in the data tables so so the chart we're looking at depicts wind speed and direction at various stations across the united states the level and forecast time may be changed as i spoke about in the chart we're looking at, it's set to 30,000 feet, and the time is valid for 0000 UTC on October 16, 2019. That's when I took this screenshot. The chart uses symbols representing flags that tell you the wind direction and speed. So these wind flags are something that you're going to have to read and decipher for the FA written exam. The wind flag points into the wind or into the direction that the wind is coming from. So these flags... They kind of they have a flagpole and then they have little what I call barbs off of them, which are the flag part. So that flag part is pointing into the direction that the wind is coming from. So another way to think about this is these are like arrows from a bow and arrow, right? You have the arrow, you have the arrowhead goes into impale something. And then on the other side, you have those feathers, those like half feathers that make the arrow fly straight. Well, these kind of look like if there was just one of those feathers on there, that feather side is the side that's pointing in the direction that the wind is coming from. So almost your arrow is flying in the direction of the wind. So that arrow head, it's almost as like you shot the arrow to ride the wind in the direction of the wind. So the direction that the wind is coming from is the opposite direction that the arrow is going or in the direction that the feather part of the arrow is pointing kind of confusing but whatever visual aid you need to think about to remember this i use just like whatever direction the the flag part is pointing to that's the direction that the wind is coming from and those barbs or the flag part have lot their their lines that come off the end of the flag and each line each full line represents 10 knots and then there's there can be a half barb and that would represent five knots. And then there could also be like a skinny triangle barb, which represents 50 knots. And then all these are normally black bars, but you can get a red barb and that will represent the gust factor. So we'll talk about some examples on how to read these. But when there are multiple lines or triangles on the end of a flag, the corresponding wind speed values are summed up. So you add them all up. And here's a couple examples. So the one we're looking at has one triangle, two full barbs, and one half barb, and they're all black. So, and it's pointing, the flag part is pointing to the northeast. So the arrowhead is pointing to the southwest. So the arrow would be like flying to the southwest, but the feather part of the arrow, the barbs, are pointing towards the northeast. So remember, that is telling us that the wind is from the northeast. Now, since we have one triangle, that's 50 knots, we have two full black barbs, those are 10 knots each. And then we have a half barb, that's five knots. If we add those up, that's 50 plus 10 plus 10 plus five is a total of 75 knots. So this, this wind flag that we're looking at here in the online ground school, the first example is saying that we have wind at 75 knots from the northeast. Because again, those barbs or that the flag part is pointed towards to the northeast. So the wind is coming from the northeast. For our next example, we just have one full black barb and the bar part of the flag pull the you know the the wind flag is pointing to the northwest so one black barb is just 10 knots it's pointing to the northwest the, the flag part so that means the wind is from the northwest at 10 knots and then here on this last last one the the barbs are pointing to the south so we know the wind is from the south it's coming from the south and then we have one full black barb and one full red barb so the wind is 10 knots gusting to 20 knots so you take the total of the black barbs and that's sort of the nominal wind speed and then you 
add the red barbs to that number. So we add 10 to 10 to get 20. So it's the wind is 10 knots, but it can gust to 20 knots and from the south. So this flag tells us that the wind is from the south at 10 knots gusting to 20 knots because of that red barb. All right, so continuing on with some of these other figures that you might see now I'm not I don't think these are on the FRA written I'm pretty sure they're not unless they've changed things up on us in the in the past month or whatever so um, you can be you don't need to study these hard for the FRA written but I think they're good to know and and get an idea of to use especially as you continue on as a pilot so this first one is sort of a, a map again a map of the United States and then overlaid on that is all these wind barbs and they're they change direction, right? So you can kind of see the overall pattern and wind directions of the United States. And then on top of that, you have isobaric pressure isobars. So an isobar is a line on, on a chart or a map that represents areas of the same or equal pressure. So you get these contours of equal pressure. And you can see when there's a lots of lines near each other that the pressure is changing rapidly in that area. And then they also add red L's and blue H's for low and high pressure areas. So you can see where the areas of low pressure are, where the areas of high pressure are, and then you can see how the pressure is changing and how the wind direction and speed is changing based off those low and high pressure areas. So it kind of combines everything that we've learned from you know, low and high pressure systems, which way they rotate in the northern hemisphere. And you can see that in the wind pattern from these wind flags. It's a pretty cool chart. And then they even have like color contours that you can use. So in the next one, we have just wind speed. The next one I want to talk about and the wind speed, you have the wind barbs. So you can, you can zoom in and, you know, use the add up all the barbs to get the wind speed, or you can overlay this color, this color contour, like a heat map of the wind speed. So like, the more yellow or red the the color, the higher the wind speed. And again, you can pick any altitude you want and kind of get a visual idea of the wind speed on a large area. And then you can do the same with temperature. You can get a heat map, an actual heat map of the temperature based off a color. All right, so that has been the lesson on, on winds aloft. We'll move on to the next lef lesson on low-level significant weather charts. Now that is lesson 16 of this section, so let's continue on and do that lesson now. Low-level significant weather charts are used for flight preparation and planning, and they describe the general weather phenomena at low levels over a large area such as the United States. These prognosis charts are provided as two forecasts, 12 hours and 24 hours, and you're seen on four panels or charts. So there's two different sets of 12 and 24 hour forecasts. The top two charts or panels depict the 12 and 24 hour forecast produced by the Aviation Weather Center, AWC, in Kansas City, Missouri. The bottom two charts depict, again, the 12 and 24 hour forecast produced at the Hydrometeorological Prediction Center, HPC, in Camp Springs, Maryland. The bottom two charts produced by HPC provides more detail on things such as the types of precipitation and warm, cold front movements. Low and high pressure systems and pressure data Warm, cold, stationary, occluded fronts and their, and their directions, maximum wind levels, freezing levels, areas and severity of icing, and areas and severity of turbulence can all be seen on these charts. So they're pretty handy, especially when you look at, want to look over a large area such as the United States or large regions in the United States. The figures that we're going to show below here in the online ground school show the basic symbols that you may find on a significant weather charts and I'm going to talk about the ones that you'll want to remember for the FAA written exam. So the very first thing you're going to see is you're going to see areas surrounded by different types of lines. So you'll see an area that might be surrounded by a solid red line. These depict areas where the ceiling is less than a thousand feet and or visibility is less than three miles. Then you might see a light blue wavy line that's where the ceiling is between 1,000 and 3,000 feet inclusive and or visibility three to five miles inclusive so at so these right here give you an instant idea of where you can find VFR weather and where the the weather is less than VFR now VFR is visual flight rules we haven't told you the definitions of that yet we will get to that in the next lesson in airspaces because it kind of ties into 
between weather and airspaces. So we're going to do that next. So don't worry about that. But as a private pilot, you can fly visual flight rules. You can't fly IFR or worse conditions than VFR. So this gives you a good idea of where the VFR conditions are and where they aren't. You might also see a dashed yellow line, which tells you where moderate or greater turbulence can be found. You might see a dark blue zigzag line, which tells you the freezing level is at the surface, or a dashed green line, which tells you the freezing level is above mean sea level. Then you might see letters in the form of fract or numbers in the form of fractions. For example, 240 forward slash or over 100. So when you see that, the one on top of the fraction is going to be the tops of clouds in hundreds of feet, and the one on the bottom of the fraction is going to be the base of clouds. So it tells you the tops and base of the clouds in hundreds of feet. Remember, hundreds of feet means we just add two zeros to the number. So in our example, 240 over 100, we add two zeros to the top. 240 gives us 24,000. That's the tops, 24,000 feet, MSL. That's the top of the clouds. And then the base of the clouds, 100, we add two zeros to that, 10,000 feet. So tops of clouds, 24,000, base of clouds, 10,000 in that example. So you'll want to know how to read that. You might also see a bunch of different symbols. You'll see the, the cold, warm, occluded front and stationary front lines. Remember, cold fronts are blue lines with blue triangles. Warm fronts are red lines with, with red semicircles. We, we've talked about that before. So you might see those listed on here so you can see the cold and warm fronts. You might also see a trough. A trough line is a black dotted line. That is an area of low pressure. So, And then a ridge is a zigzag black line, and that's areas of high pressure. So think of a trough like a valley. So if you were to look at a map of where instead of elevation, you know those like globes where you can get where the, they show the actual elevation where like mountains actually rise up out of the globe, and it's like a topical topical map if you were to do that with pressure the areas of low pressure would be lower right they'd be indented and that would be like a valley you'd see that as like a valley that would be a trough so like a elongated area of low pressure is a trough elongated area of high pressure is a ridge and then you might also see that h a blue h for high pressure and a, a red l for low pressure and then next to it you might see the pressure in millibars Finally, you're going to see a bunch of symbols that tell you things like turbulence, precipitation, and obstructions. Now, you don't need to remember all of these, and the best way to look at these is to look in the online ground school and see this legend that we have where we have all these symbols and what they mean. I'm going to try to describe them to you here on audio because that's the whole point of this. But like I said, it's going to be hard to describe some of these, so please go check it out yourself. I'll also mention which ones I think you should remember for the FA written. I don't think you should spend a bunch of time memorizing all these because if you do get a question that uses one of these symbols, it's only going to be one out of your 60 questions. So your time is best spent memorizing other things and learning the fundamental concepts that are going to make you a better pilot and prepare you more for your check ride as well. So don't get too caught up in memorizing every single one of these, but I'll kind of tell you the ones that you should probably know. All right, so you have fog, which is just like an equal sign. So if you see an equal sign, that's going to mean fog. Haze is like a, a sideways eight, which is also the sign for infinity. Smoke, it looks like a snake. It's kind of like this squiggly, squiggly little line. That's for smoke. Drifting snow is going to be an up arrow and an arrow pointing to the right that cross. That's drifting snow. A sandstorm is going to be a capital S with an arrow through the middle of it, pointing to the right. So the big S, sandstorm, that kind of makes sense. And then you have the arrow maybe showing you that the sand is moving. Drizzle is just a comma. Rain is just a period. So it's just a dot, and then drizzle is a comma. Freezing rain is going to be a sideways S with a dot in it. Freezing drizzle is a sideways S with a comma in it. Again, drizzle is the comma. Then you get icing symbols. So light icing is going to be a trident. So it's going to have three points like Neptune's trident. Moderate icing, you're going to add a fourth point to the trident. So I guess instead of a trident, it would be like a quadrant. <laughs> and then severe icing, you're going to add a fifth point to the trident. So I don't know what that would be called, like a, a quin, quindent or something. Uh, something, <laughs> Whatever five is. And then snow is going to be an asterisk symbol. That kind of makes sense. It kind of looks like a snowflake. Ice crystals, you're going to have a double-sided arrow pointing to the left and right. Ice 
pellets. You're going to have a triangle with a dot in it. Mixed rain and snow, you'll have the dot and the asterisk. So that kind of makes sense. The dot is rain, the asterisk is snow. Anytime you see a upside down triangle with the point facing down, that's going to represent showers. So if you see a dot with an upside down triangle, that's rain showers. If you see an asterisk, that means snow, right? And then a upside down triangle, that's going to be snow showers. And then you might see a thunderstorm. So a thunderstorm is going to be a capital R looking symbol where the leg of the R is has an arrowhead on it. So that's the, the thunderstorm. And then you'll see turbulence. Turbulence is like a witch's hat. And then if you have, so light turbulence will just be a, light turbulence is just going to be like a carrot symbol, right? You know, just a, like a, a little mountain peak. And then moderate turbulence is going to have little notches at the bottom that kind of make it look like a witch's hat, like a brim, right? Of the witch's hat. So that would be moderate turbulence. So light turbulence, just it's just like, think of a, a triangle without the bottom. So it's just that little little peak, that carrot. And then uh, you'll have the moderate turbulence, which has the brim of the hat. It kind of looks like a witch's hat. And then when you add severity to the turbulence, you stack those on top of each other. So severe turbulence would be like two witch's hats stop, stacked on top of each other. Extreme turbulence would be right three witch's hats stacked on top of each other. Now, all of these symbols. So here's the ones that I, I think you should remember. I think, again, you want to know what how to find where the VFR conditions are by, by the lines that we talked about. And then you'll want to know how to decipher the, the top and bases of clouds based off the numbers, the fractions, the warm, cold front, occluded fronts, those things you'll want to know. And then for the symbols, I think, I think fog, drizzle, rain, icing, snow, showers, thunderstorms, and turbulence. I think those are ones you should remember. If you can remember those like five or six things, you should be able to decipher anything you'll see on the FA written exam. Now, a note for all of these symbols, the number of symbols tells you the magnitude or intensity of the precipitation. For example, two snow symbols, two asterisks, means light snow. Three means moderate snow. Four means heavy snow. Another note, if you see one symbol over another one, like for example, if you see two asterisks, a forward slash, like in a fraction, and then two dots, or two periods, it means both are or could be present. So in this particular example, the two asterisks over the two periods, we would expect either light snow or light rain or a mixture of both. So that kind of is another way to say that that both both are there. Again, you will not be tested on all of these symbols for the FA written exam, but they are still good to know. I re recommend getting good at reading the different lines for ceilings and visibility, the tops and bases of clouds, front symbols, high and low pressure symbols, and some of the symbols for weather, such as rain, fog, icing, snow, showers, thunderstorms, and turbulence. All right, so let's get to, that has been low-level significant weather charts. Let's move on to radar weather observations. This will be our last lesson that we're going to cover. It's a short one, so let's just get right into it. And again, if you're following along in the online ground school, this is, let's see here, this is lesson 17 of section 5. So we're almost done. We got Lesson 17, 18, and 19. We'll get to lesson 18 and 19 in the next episode. But let's finish up with lesson 17 here on radar weather observations. Radar systems such as Doppler radar or FAA terminal Doppler weather radar, TDWR, allows ATC, flight service stations, and weather briefers to warn pilots of impending precipitation, wind, wind shear, and weather systems. These reports are also able to indicate the location and presence of precipitation as well as the type, intensity, and cell movement, so the movement of that precipitation so that you can start to predict where it's going to go. And then because of this, they are of special interest to pilots. So because you can kind of start to predict and see the trend in movements of these precipitation and cells, it's very useful to pilots. And these are the the radar imagery that you see on your local news, right? When you're watching the weather in the local news and they show like, you know, this Doppler radar with the, the different colors that telling you the intensity of, of that radar signal and the, the denser that radar signal is, that means that the radar. So what happens is a satellite beams down a radar signal. And if it, hits the ground and then bounces back it it can tell the distance and the timing of that and it says okay there's no 
nothing impeding from the satellite to the ground so the skies are, are clear and then even if you get like light wispy clouds that still might, the radar will most of the radar signal will go all the way through to the ground but once you get those clouds or the whatever precipitation where it's completely saturated and there's actual liquid in there the radar signal is going to bounce off that liquid and come back and then the satellite judges that timing and the distance it took to bounce back and says okay that didn't make it all the way to the surface of the ground so that means and then it starts to map out where those cells are of precipitation and you can see the intensity of that again so the denser that that liquid is in those clouds the the different color you'll see on the doppler radar and it you can see that the radar dbs are, will be different colors and you can see this in in the picture in the online ground school so that's that's what it is and you can see, again you can see a picture you can see this at aviationweather.gov you can pause it and you can you can play it and you can see the time lapse over over time and see the direction and where that's going and it's a very helpful tool okay so that's it for that lesson that was lesson 17 again i i just mentioned that it was a short one you just want to remember that the reports are able to indicate the location and presence of precipitation as well as the type, intensity, and cell movement of that precipitation. So you want to know what a radar obs weather observation is and what it can tell you as a pilot. That's the one thing you might get asked on the FAA written exam. So we had to cover it. So that was Lesson 17 of Section 5. We have Lesson 18 and 19 left. Lesson 18 is going to cover air mets and sigmets, while Lesson 19 is going to cover cover weather briefing. Once we're done with that, we'll move on to section six of the online ground school on national airspace system. Again, a very important section. So thank you guys for listening. I will catch you guys next week with lesson 18 airmets and sigmets. See you later. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gained, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they 
continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read, so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices. Have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.